everybody. Welcome back. I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. And uh, as, a, as a welcome back to work present to you, we have this great episode of Friends with Employee Benefits with Sarah Martin, who is the CEO of Wellcoa. And if, if you're not familiar with Wellcoa, they're, it's the Wellness Council of America, and their commitment and their mission is helping to build high-performing and healthy uh, workplaces. So Sarah, being the CEO, is very passionate about this, this subject that we're going to talk about, which is the great resignation and, and, and how it's tied to employee burnout. And Sarah's got a lot of great thoughts about it and, and how you can navigate through it. So take a listen. So Sarah, there's a lot to talk about around the great resignation uh, and for good reason. It seems like every employer in just about every industry is talking about it now. And, uh, you know, in the midst of still dealing with the challenges of COVID, uh, that, that's going on and on. Now they've got to worry about this great resignation about how, how do I you know retain my top talent from leaving? So, you know, what's your take on this great resignation? Well, I really appreciate the question, Jeff. And we think a lot about this at Wellcoa. In general, a theme that I'm sure you've picked up on as you've been hosting these conversations is that a lot of the change that we are seeing post-pandemic in general terms is not necessarily something that's new, that was never present before and now is brand new and present now. I think it's more, and the great resignation is more evidence of this. It's a different way of our employees dealing with something that always has been. And what I mean by that is I believe that for a long time, employees have struggled with trust, psychological safety, engagement, all of the things that we were kind of talking about, maybe pandering to if we weren't really serious about addressing them before the pandemic. And they're seeing the same problems and barriers show up in their organization year over year. And they weren't seeing their leaders maybe have the agency to make those changes. You know, I think things like, oh, we know that we're, our employees are working super long hours, but we can't change how much work is demanded of us. We have certain goals we have to hit, or we know that our employees have been saying that the, our benefits package isn't competitive, but we've been working with, you know, the same broker for X many years. And, you know, we don't know where to go next and to get it solved. And it's just these things that aren't getting resolved. And during the pandemic, employees saw that there is a more full way of living, right? That they had access to when the world slowed down. And when they were pulled back into their homes, maybe closer to their families, when they were worried about their actual health and longevity on the planet, and they started thinking about what actually mattered to them. Mm -hmm. And with those new perspectives, you know, it always someone told me a long time ago when I was going through a big life transition, and I said, gosh, I, I woke up to something and it's really inconvenient. Now, what do I do? And my friend said, well, Sarah, a snake can't get back into its skin. You know, you can't, you can't just go back to what it was before. You have to move forward with your new skin. And I think that's what we're seeing now. It's people saying, I can't unknow what I know during the, what I've learned during this pandemic about what it means to actually have dignity and respect in life. And I don't see my employer making any changes to help me feel that way. So I guess I don't have any choice other than it's fight or flight. 
Great resignation is flight. You can either stay in the system and try to change it, try to get your leaders to hear you, try to grassroots create change, or you can say, you know, I'm tired of fighting and I know there's a better way out there and I'm going to go chase it. And I think that's what the great resignation has, has shown us. So there have to be employers then that that have made the change or maybe we're already in the process pre-pandemic so that, you know, because they have to have some place to, to, to run to. Uh, most people aren't in a position where they could just stop working. <laughs> um, so, so there must be employers that, that are, are, are kind of focusing more on trust and uh, psychological safety and engagement. And the other thing that always comes up everywhere I've ever worked when you do engagement surveys, it, no one seems, employers really struggle to communicate effectively and, and really transparently to, to their employees as well, which so, so I mean, um, that's true, right? Though, am I, am I assuming incorrectly that there, there must be some employers out there who are getting it and making the change and making it a, a more, a, 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 a happier place to work? Absolutely. And, and I think the best, some of the more insightful literature I've seen on this is a study that was conducted by McKinsey. And what they were studying was all of the, the various ways that employers started resp responding at the onset, which not surprisingly started out kind of transactionally. They started looking at things like, is our benefits package competitive or is our compensation competitive? You know, really going after throwing money at the problem. And then McKinsey's research came along and said, employees aren't saying that they're leaving because they're not being paid competitively. There's the number one and number two reasons that employees are leaving is uh, are that one, they don't feel like their manager values or appreciates them, or two, they don't feel like the organization values or appreciates them. So there's these like deeply human things, appreciation, dignity, respect, maybe some compassion that employees are, um, are looking for. And the ways that we've started seeing employers respond is management training around compassion yeah. for their for their leaders for their people managers looking at you know workflow and flexibility and starting to actually solve some of these problems listening you know what's really impacting your ability to feel like that you're thriving here and starting to actually take that agency to change it but um and those are those are really beautiful questions and answers uh, as opposed to um, worrying about building more resilience or getting our employees to, you know, suit up so they can take more punches, really start to think about how to, re how to resolve these problems and stop the punches from coming. Yeah. That's not new either, Sarah, though, right? Th this idea that people generally usually pay is third, fourth, fifth down the list of why people leave, a, leave, leave one place for another, that th this idea that, it, that it's those other non-monetary things that, that generally drive those, that's not new either, is it? No, you're absolutely correct. It is not new. It's it's this idea that work is a relationship and yeah. the ways in which we feel like we're ready to end a relationship with work don't differ too much from the reasons we would choose to leave any other relationship. Yeah, yeah. Which at the end of the day probably comes down to happiness. Um, yeah. <laughs> right? That's that's the big word. I know there's a, a movement sort of away from, even from engagement and more toward creating a 
workplace happiness, uh, that, that that's ultimately what the goal should be. Absolutely. And I think it's about asking the question, what is actually missing? What are the actual barriers? We give a lot of lip service to whole self, happiness, well-being. In the case of the Wellness Council of America, these are really lofty ideas. And uh, I think that we also have to recognize that we need to earn the right to ask our employees to be happy at work or be well at work uh, or thrive or flourish at work by first getting down to the basics of have we done the bare minimum to make sure that they have dignity, respect, and their basic needs met. And I think hopefully, again, the pandemic kind of breaking us all down to the base minimum of the animals that we that we are mm-hmm. and what we actually need to survive is, is helping us see that. Yeah. Now, the, the, the other thing about so almost almost the opposite of COVID effect. So there was this aha moment that a lot of people had that like, wait, there's another way and, and I can have you know, I don't need to to be in an office 12 hours a day to be successful and so on and so forth. But I think a lot of people experience from what I've heard anecdotally is that they've never worked harder and it's never been more stressful because of now I find it hard to separate. I actually find it hard to separate work from from home life because I'm working from home and I'm rolling out of bed and I'm getting right into my first Zoom call and I'm flat out for the for the entire day and I haven't taken any time to to breathe. And so it's, it's created, I think for a lot of people, uh, you know, burnout's another big topic. And uh, so is it possible that the, this great resignation is, is also tied to mental health and, and as, it, as it relates to people just being burned out, just say enough, I, I, I can't do this anymore. Absolutely. You know, burnout, actually the process of burnout is characterized by poor adaptation to life events. And then from that poor adaptation that you just described in, in the anecdote about not really getting the, having these skills to integrate work and life effectively under these new constraints, uh, that leads to um, altered perspectives. And that's where the burnout really starts to set in mm-hmm. about work and life. And then that altered perspective leads to diminished motivation and diminished energy. So again, kind of a big piece out like I, I don't have the desire nor the interest nor maybe the ability to do this anymore. Yeah, it's it's a, it, it becomes a, a a mental health issue, and then the question, of course, is so how do employers get out ahead of, ahead of it? Right? If if burnout is one of the contributing factors to the Great Resignation, what can an employer do to get out ahead of it before it starts leading to 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 employee retention issues? Yeah. So, you know, for Walcoa, it's, it's really important that we help organizations understand the overall impact of burnout and, of course, what their role is in compassionate leadership to protect their employees from it, because burnout does have those really serious consequences for them that they should be paying attention to disengagement, you know, the great resignation, pr- productivity costs, irritability, exhaustion. We actually did, along with Stella Grisant, who found who is the founder of the the work happy method? She led for our uh, for our members this year the very first ever idea collective on burnout and resilience. And she got together a small team, and they we actually crowdsourced some of the answers to your questions. So I actually have them here. Things that they were finding 
throughout a six week period, brainstorming and trying things together that seem to be making a difference, like offering flexible schedules, offering remote work opportunities for those who wanted them, but not requiring it, offering office equipment and space availability who, who don't want to be remote. Um, and really, actually, you can measure the degree to which an employee wants to integrate their work in their life. It's a personality characteristic. I'm either someone who really gets a lot of energy from taking four meetings, going down, unloading the dishwasher, putting coming back up, doing a few things, and maybe my workday goes till 7 p.m. because I'm integrating a lot of different things. Or maybe I'm someone who just wants to come in at 8 a.m. and just knock it out by five with a one-hour lunch and be done. And if I'm that, that latter type of person, I might really be missing my office about now because that creates that separation that I desperately need. Yeah. When people say, what is the hybrid work environment for Walcoa? We always say, well, it's an environment where there's new possibility, new options and new flexibility that accommodates the vast uh, continuum of desires and work styles that have always been there, but never been accommodated. Um, other things, walking meetings and stretch breaks. I mean, it sounds old school, but like just asking your employees, are they pausing to take some time um, for themselves? And are you putting in your policies, you know, uh, we actually, there was someone that uh, I interviewed some time ago about her approach. Um, I didn't get her permission to say the company, so I won't. It's an re all remote company, but she said she wrote into the PTO handbook or the, the hand, their handbook for PTO policy. Here are the things you should not take PTO for taking a nap in the middle of your day. If you need a nap, going on a walk, if you need to go on a walk, like taking time out and running some errands, like making it really clear to employees what their employer expects of them in terms of taking time from themselves or for themselves. Um, messages from leadership, transparent communication that keeps employees informed letting them know that the company cares about them, management training and coaching. Most of your managers, unless they're naturally good at this, aren't skilled in identifying burnout, listening and help and showing compassion in a way that helps get employees the help they need. Giving them that training is so important. And it's also an emerging need that we've been measuring amongst our members. They're putting more and more energy effort dollars into management training for mental health um, as a result. Um, and then modeling encouraged behaviors. So are they seeing their leaders taking mental breaks? Are they seeing their leaders get up um, to stretch or, or setting healthy boundaries about their work days? And then of course, sharing success stories and overall good news for employees, celebrating each other, celebrating the ways in which we've navigated this collaboratively um, and really underscoring the culture that we've tried to create uh, as we've moved through this of, you know, we, we don't always know the best way of doing it, but we are, we've really shown up for each other and, uh, and, and we, we've come out as a stronger culture on the other side are really good stories to tell. It feels to me like that, that, that last thing, the celebrating the wins and the successes, um, employers have to kind of figure out new ways to do that as they have remote and hybrid and sort of a variety of people working in a variety of different ways because it can't be like literally we here used to we just gather everybody around impromptu and ring a bell when when, when there was a when there was a win when there was a success I mean literally was that it was that but 
I don't, I, I don't know that we could get everybody together in, all in the same day anymore <laughs> to do that. And so I think employers need to get creative on how to do something as simple as celebrating the win as a, as a, as a, as a community, as, an, as an, a community of workers. I agree, Jeff. It was so funny. We, we had a meeting yesterday. We've been, just an anecdote, just to be super uh, humble about how Volco is trying to work through this and sort it out. Um, if anyone can see themselves in this scenario, it could be useful. But we have been doing morning team meetings virtually every single morning at 9 a.m., full team, full organization, since March of 2020. Uh, and we had a, a, a conversation as a leadership team. Are these meetings still working for us? There's not a whole lot of structure anymore. And we've been trying to play with different structures to make sure that they're valuable meetings. And someone finally said, you know, maybe it's what's beautiful about these is that there isn't structure because if we put more structure on this, what do we lose? We lose people feeling like that they can show up as their full selves and talk openly about what's going on in their, in their day or their week. That could be challenging. We lose a joke or two about someone's home life or a pet that's not cooperating as I'm hoping that my pet will continue to cooperate for this podcast. Um, you know, what do we lose if we strip out that humanity and we stop being honest about what's working really well and we laugh together. And, and that's quite simply what, what's been missing from work often. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just becomes, if you put more structure, it's just going to become another meet, another chore, another meeting to attend that, that, that that's more of a burden than, than a help. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how, about, how about this idea of, of stay interviews? I mean, there's a sort of a theme here that I'm hearing, which is, look, you, you need to be really communicating with with genuine concern and compassion with your employees. And shouldn't you be asking them, hey, what 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 is motivating you to stick around um, and, and do sort of these stay interviews to say, you know, how do, how do we make you stay? <laughs> Yeah, you know, we always, it's funny, we talk a lot about methodology, uh, benchmark, we have our seven benchmarks approach, which is the approach that Wilcoa trains our members on for uh, crafting a strategic well-being approach. And the third of seven is collecting data. Like before you go trying to solve the problem, you should probably try to figure out exactly what that problem is. Mm. And the golden rule of any of that is, you know, if you're ready to ask, that means that you're ready to act. So stay interviews are only as good as how willing an organization is to change if they find out something really uncomfortable. Mm. And if they're not ready to make that change, you know, then, then maybe look inward a little bit. Um, and we also talk a lot about other types of methodologies. So yes, maybe it's an interview one-on-one, maybe it's focus groups. And if you do have those focus groups, make sure that you have representation from not just leadership or those who are, uh, you know, um, a convenient sample, if you will, of employees who are opting in, but that you're seeking out people from underserved communities, marginalized populations in your organization, and you're giving them a mouthpiece directly to leadership for what's not going well. Uh, Because we can't solve the problem for one group if we haven't solved it for the most marginalized and underserved in our organizations as well. And we see that as a big missing piece when people are having these conversations is if, if you're not, if you're not cautious that you're getting a full perspective from every type of employee, at every level of the organization, including these other groups 
um, you might be solving it for those who already have most of their problems solved. I was listening to another podcast on the way into the office this morning and uh, this topic of leadership came up and how really good effective leadership is really good leaders do a lot more listening than they do talking or directing um, and, and and that's another sort of theme I think of this conversation is that as employers and as leaders and you know I, I don't like the term but managers of people it's it's I think we all could probably talk less and listen more I agree. I think E.E. Cummings says always the more beautiful answer who asks the more beautiful question. (laughs) And, you know, we, you're right. If we are doing the talking, we're going to keep solving the problems that we think we should be solving instead of the problems that actually exist. With with all this in mind, this is kind of a big, broad question, but, but where do you see the future of work heading? Like what's, what's the, I don't, you can't even say workplace because that's part of the question of what is the future of work uh, as, as we've, as we start to address these various issues? You know, I, I think now more than ever, what we tell our membership base, and of course, we're the Wellness Council of America. So if this isn't going to surprise you, we could, we have some bias in my answer, but companies that prioritize well-being are going to benefit you know, in, in terms of the future of work, they're going to benefit from managing risk, managing their brand. And I think well-being has always been really important, but it's never been more central to the future of work than it is right now. We're all really aware of that and its role in the great resignation, its role in engagement, its role in safety. Uh, and, and I think that just very basically wellness and well-being are at the center of what we need to be doing going forward. And that's always a belief that I've held dear for, that's how I, I landed in this role, in this work, believing that the most important thing that we can do in our workplace uh, is to make sure that we've put the human central in all of our decision-making and create cultures and environments where people can reach their full potential. And, but I think that to create the workplaces of the future now, how my perspective might've changed in answering your question now versus before the pandemic is that the future of work requires us to create systems that help us truly understand the people we work for, and then conversely, the people who work for us, if we're leaders. So we need to set some new standards for leaders. We need to sharpen their skills for empathy, for compassion, for creating that psychological safety, being transparent instead of being right. The new leadership power, right? It's it's not about being right anymore. Um, It's about being transparent and honest and vulnerable and empathetic. And I also think we have to get really clear about what's broken. You know, uh, society right now has some brokenness, obviously, and it has. There are inequalities that are preventing people from, that I kind of referenced earlier, from being able to access just basic resources, have enough disposable income to live a fulfilling and whole life, experience dignity, respect, access to healthy food, access to safe places to be physically active, things that should be the right of all people. And in the future, we believe that this is not a completely separate body of work than the work of fixing organizations that are also putting barriers on people that are keeping them from reaching their full potential in that sense. So Jeff, you'd mentioned, is the workplace even the right term anymore? As the, the lines continue to blur between work and life, I would argue um, always that that those lines have been a lot more black and white than I believe they ever should have been drawn. 
we're going to need to continue to think through how our organizations operate in the greater society and how our organizations are a microcosm of the greater society, but also how our organizations could be the great equalizer to some of these barriers that exist beyond the quote unquote four walls of our organization. So I have, and Walcoa has lofty dreams for the future of work, thriving people, flourishing people, wholeness for all employees and all those things. But, you know, I think we have to be honest with ourselves that to get there, we first need to create more an, a more near future where employees have their basic needs met. They feel respected by their leaders. They feel respected by the company. And that's simply not the reality for all working people. And the pandemic definitely shone a light on, on that truth. Yeah. And, and that and the, those basic needs, I mean, you know, 15 years ago, I think, you know, well, well-being or wellness was focused around physical well-being. And, and I, I, the future, correct me if I'm wrong, is really that this recognition that it's no, no, these are all interconnected, not just physical, but mental and emotional well-being as well. Absolutely. And I think it doesn't even represent, Jeff, a shift from physical well-being being important, mm. but from a realization that to get to physical well-being, mm. we have to pay attention to a whole lot of other layers of well-being first, yeah, right. that Maslow hierarchy of needs again. Yeah. So I, I know we want to wrap up here, but what's the most, Sarah, the, what would you say is the most important takeaway for those listening, for the, for the HR professionals and business leaders who are listening? What's kind of the, the key takeaway? I think if any part of this conversation between you and me excited a listener today or made them curious or made them want to take action, then remember this. I think our role as leaders and organizations is to help those around us reach their full potential. And like I said before, before we earn the right to ask employees to be more or to do more or to achieve more, we first, as leaders, with our sphere of control, our scope of control, need to first make sure that we have created a culture for our teams of dignity and respect. Are your employees being compensated at a level that allows them to achieve financial safety? If not, put your focus on that, and that focus is your well-being strategy. That is your program. Uh, if does your do your employees trust your leadership in your organization? Do they feel seen and valued? If they don't, that's where your focus goes, and that that focus becomes the program. Print that Maslow hierarchy of needs out, put it on your desk. Are you, are you asking employees to reach full self-actualization before you've actually ensured that their basic needs are being met? And I, I think we'll, we'll be able to achieve more if we are willing to consistently gut check ourselves and our own leadership and our own set of priorities against the standard. Are, are we allowing for humanity as we make our decisions? And are we truly open to accepting feedback uh, yeah. uh, in that regard? Absolutely. Sarah, anything that we've missed that, that we, we haven't talked about that you think it would be important to, to mention before we wrap? Jeff, this is a super, I mean, this is a passion project for me and mm -hmm. these are the things I love talking about. So I think you hit all the, the nails on the head in terms of some important conversations that Wilco has been wanting to have. I, I really appreciate the, the chat with you today. Yeah, I've enjoyed it a lot. So, you know, I can't let you go yet, though, uh, Sarah. So first of all, I want to thank you for, for joining us. Really, really, truly appreciate your time and your insight here. But we do always conclude with some rapid fire questions. We want our listeners to get to know you a little bit better personally. So are, are, are you game for that? Are you ready for that? 
As long as everyone knows these were not seated and have no idea what you're about you, to ask. You don't know, you don't know what's coming. <laughs> right, right. Okay. So, all right. Top of mind. Right. First, first thing that comes to mind, what, what's your favorite season? Autumn. Favorite cake flavor? Butter rum. Mm. Uh, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live? Um, probably either Paris or honestly, Appalachian Mountains, mm. where I grew up. Oh, yeah. All right. Go back home. Uh, yeah. Okay. This is the question I love the most. What's the most interesting thing you've ever eaten? <laughs> um, Thanksgiving flavored Jelly Belly jelly beans. So gravy oh, yeah. flavored jelly bean, mm. turkey flavored jelly bean. That was a, that's recent because I just tried those much to my dismay. Yeah, that, it doesn't sound good. Okay, finally, one more question. Our, our theme at One Digital this year has been rise. Um, you know, we, we went through a tough 2020 and we kind of hoped that 2021 was going to be a lot better, but that was a challenge as well with the pandemic and other uh, disruption in our lives. And so, um, but heading into 2022, Sarah, how are you going to rise? I love that question. I am rising through a commitment to have more grounded being in myself. So talk less, show up being instead of doing and create more space for those around me to show up bigger, not fill as much space is, is my personal goal. For Walcoa, we are rising by helping get even more honest I would say maybe brazen faced and our honesty about what truly needs to change first before we go back to the traditional medicalized type of wellness we've been asking our members to help perpetuate in their organizations. We're going to break it down and really get really honest and, and challenge people on their perspectives. And that's that's the work. We're really excited about it. Both great answers. Uh, Sarah, thank you again for joining and to everybody that's uh, that's tuned in. Very much appreciate it when you listen. And uh, hey, this has been another great episode of Friends with Employee Benefits. Thank you.